Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight. And our topic is our inner flight data recorder. But before I get to that, I want to give you the terrible news, good friends, that there will be no new Bible study for the next two weeks, June 15th and June 22nd. I'm shockingly going on vacation. I apologize to you all. And uh, I will certainly make up for my sins when we get back. So we'll be back on June 29th from that. And uh, I want to tell you about our inner flight data recorder. Oh, I, I um, let me just say this and then we'll say a prayer and then we can get into a, a story and stuff. The, um, uh, it was striking me the idea, there's the idea in scripture of our book of life where the things that we do are recorded. We'll see some passages about that tonight. Swedenborg talks about our internal memory, which is much better than our external memory. I mean, our external memory, uh, I mean, I lost a book in my office today and I could, just had no idea what I'd done with it. You know, my external memory can't remember things from a few hours ago. Uh, our internal memory captures everything and that's the analogy of the flight data recorder. Uh, so what, you know, what, how can that teaching bless us? What can we do with that information? That's what we'll be looking at tonight. So I invite you to join us. Let's start with an opening prayer. Shall we good friends? Okay. <laughs> our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name. You are the one God of heaven and earth, the word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us as we open up the pages of your word and seek to understand the reality in which we find ourselves. Amen. Amen. Sending love to those of you who are out there online and those of you who are getting the audio and so on. Our inner flight data recorder. I want to start this evening in an unusual way, which is I want to tell you a foolish made-up story. Some of you who've been around Bible study for a while know that occasionally I make up foolish stories. So this is, this is a foolish made-up story. And it goes like this. It's about a young man uh, whose father was a big deal in the aviation industry. And so the father had kind of pushed the son into becoming a pilot. The son wasn't that crazy about it, sort of liked the glamour of it, but wasn't sure about all the you know, sort of tedious work involved in the training and so on. He might have slept through a few classes. He might have skipped a few classes. Not the brightest uh, person in the school. And uh, when he got out, he was really expecting that his connections with his father would give him some good routes and he'd be able to step into some of the cream, you know, positions and everything. But that didn't happen. At first, he wasn't assigned at all. And then as time went on, he finally got an assignment uh, to just do one of these little junky routes. Uh, it was about a four-hour flight, and, and he was quite unhappy about the route that he'd been given. So he came on board his first flight as a co-pilot with quite an attitude. And so he's sitting in the cockpit with the pilot, and they take off. And after a while, once, once they're up in the air, there's some sort of time. And he takes off his headset, and he just sort of starts to go on this rant. Uh, he's really upset. He's upset at the airline. He's just trashing the airline that he, that he works for. Um, he's trashing the, the destination that they're going to. 
He's trashing all the people who are on the plane who would want to go to that destination. Uh, and he's even sort of, he, he gets carried away with it all. And he's talking about, you know, if I was, I'd stick something in the fuselage here and then you could blow, blow this whole thing up. Or whatever. You know, he was just saying terrible, terrible things and he's on a rant. And his pilot is not saying much. He's, you know, he, I mean, he knows that the guy's dad is a big deal and everything. So he's not saying much. But finally he just says, um, my friend, you, you, you do know about the CVR, right? The guy says, the, maybe I missed that class, the CVR. He says, the cockpit voice recorder. <laughs> and he thinks, um, okay, but I haven't been wearing my headset. So like it didn't, it didn't hear what I said. He says, well, it captures all communications between the air traffic control and the plane and between the pilot and the co-pilot when we're wearing our headsets. But you see that thing in the ceiling up there? That's a microphone that captures all the ambient noise that occurs in here. Everything you've said has been captured on this, you know, uh, cockpit voice recorder. So the, the uh, co-pilot gets sort of a look on his face and he's thinking, um, okay, well, is this like a, like a, a, a smoke detector? Can we like, um, you know, can we unplug the thing or something like that? And the pilot says, um, uh, it's designed to function in the, in the case of an accident, even if all power, power goes out to the plane, it's self-powered. No, we can't unplug it. And so the guy says, well, um, could we like, maybe if we got it, maybe if we got it wet, it would short out or something, and then, then the recording would be no good. And, and the pilot said, well, these things are made in the event of an accident to be able to sink 20,000 feet into the ocean and still function for a month emitting a pinging signal so that they can be found. You pouring a little water on this thing is not going to do anything. Uh, so he said, well, maybe we could like burn it or something. The pilot says, it's made to sustain a heat of 1,000 degrees centigrade, which is 1,830 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, so he said, well, well, maybe I could just like smash it like I did a smoke detector at home. The pilot says, it is not good to smash smoke detectors. I know they can be annoying sometimes, but you're not supposed to smash those. And you could never smash this thing. It's made to sustain 3,400 Gs of force, 3,400 times the force of gravity. Uh, you know, it's, it's housed in titanium. Uh, you can't smash it. So the co-pilot's really sweating about this thing because he said some, you know, I mean, he's going to go to prison for a long time just, just for what he said, what he threatened and everything. Um, and he really doesn't want this getting back to his dad and all the rest of it. So he's saying, well, like, is there some way to, like, edit it or something? Could you just sort of, like, cut out part of the recording? or You know, could I hack in there with my laptop or something like that? And the pilot says, well... Obviously, you can understand the whole point of the cockpit voice recorder is to capture an absolutely unvarnished, accurate transcription of everything that occurred in the cockpit. That's what it's there for. But there's one little thing I can offer you by way of hope. We're on a four-hour flight here. Actually, the cockpit voice recorder only holds two hours of data. After two hours, it starts to record over what you've done. So if we don't have any problems in the next two hours, your little rant will be mercifully erased bit by bit as we continue with our flight. 
The flight data recorder, which is separate and similar, goes for 17 to 25 hours, uh, but, and that tracks 80, 100 different systems in the plane and tells you everything about where, where the plane is going, how the engine's functioning and all that, uh, so they can capture it. Um, the the co-pilot says, um, so this is like the black box, right? And uh, the pilot says, well, for, for many, many years now, they've been bright orange, so you can find them wherever they are out in the woods and so on. But yes, this is what people refer to as the black box. And um, uh, so the guy thinks, okay, two hours. And the pilot says, um, if we crash in the next hour and a half, you can content yourself that you will have made aviation history because your rant will, will be known by all. Uh, when there are crashes, there are people who scour, go to the ends of the earth to try to find these, these boxes, to find them, get the data off of them. They're designed in such a way that it, it's just about permanent. They have their own power in them and everything. And so, and they will be carefully reviewing everything that happened in order to see what they can correct and, and do better next time. So that's my little story about the pilot and the co-pilot. Uh, interestingly, we have something in ourselves. We have a flight data recorder in ourselves. We have a cockpit voice recorder. We have something, and as Swedenborg says, it's called our internal memory. And so it's stored up somewhere. I, one little detail I didn't mention about the recorders, the, the guy thought, well, maybe, uh, okay, it's, it's in the cockpit here. I can just rip it out of the wall or something. No, they stick it in the tail of the plane. You know, it's buried in the tail of the plane because that's the, the place it's likely to do the best. So, no, you, you can't access this thing. Well, it's very similar with our spirits. Uh, there's, there's the tail of our, our plane. You know, our, our spirit has a recorder that's just capturing everything we've ever said and done. And the only difference is it ain't on a two-hour loop, my <laughs> friends. It's capturing everything through our, our whole life. You know, it captures everything. And it not only gets what we say and do. And isn't it kind of fascinating that the flight data recorder captures what you do and the voice recorder captures what you say? You know, it's, it's just interesting. Those are, those are two things. Uh, our internal memory captures what we do and what we say, but also captures something that is difficult for the people investigating a crash to put together, which is what were we thinking and what were we feeling? It also captures that level of detail and it's been designed for somewhat similar reasons you know uh, it, it's to capture an accurate the truth is so hard to get and our outer selves I don't want to accuse you of anything good friend my outer self is of a nature I want to edit that thing <laughs> I, I want to smash it or burn it or get it wet or do something to try to not have it capture the thing that I just did or said because I don't want that thing being part of the permanent record. I don't like the idea of becoming aviation history when this thing comes to light. And the idea in Scripture is that this will come to light. We'll read some passages about that in a little bit. Um, so uh, the, the bad news is that this recorder captures everything that we think and feel and do and say over the course of our lives, what other people were doing and thinking and saying and so on. It just, it's, a, it's an unbelievably faithful uh, record. Everything we've read, everything, you know, just, uh, Swedenborg talks about people in the other world after they die and just whole days on end of every single thing that they thought 
and felt, and that, you know, when it's useful, they can play the recorder. Uh, there are a couple of things uh, that I, 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 I think that's kind of a frightening message, the idea that we're going to an honest world after death and that there's a, there's a black box that's indestructible and, and that it contains the record of, of what we did and said. That's kind of scary. But, number one, it's reviewed by very compassionate parties, people who have no judgment, who view... Who, just think the best and put the best interpretation on, on whatever it is. So that's a nice thing. And the other thing, and what's important for this particular Bible study, and while we're still here on our, on our flight in this world, is that any change we make in our flight path is recorded in there. And they love that. They almost love it more. Think of Mary Magdalene who had seven demons and so on. You know, they almost love it more when you started off bad and you were headed in a bad direction and then you just see the plane turn, they just love that. And so if we can turn or update it or change a little, add something to the voice record, you know, that, there's a lot of good to be had in that. So let's have a look at some passages about this, good friends. I want to start in Luke because that's sort of the smoking gun passage. In the New Testament, that third gospel, go to Luke chapter 12. We'll be jumping all over the place tonight. Um, but uh, think, think about this. You know, what is this saying? Uh, let's start at verse 1 in Luke chapter 12. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Interesting. Beware of hypocrisy. Now, what is hypocrisy again? That's like thinking or feeling one thing and doing the opposite, or like trying to deceive people in the way that you come across or something. And so, so what does the Lord say about hypocrisy? For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. Nothing. Nothing covered. That's strong. That's what got me thinking about a, a, a flight data recorder or something. You know, it's like it's all in there. There's nothing covered that will not be revealed. Nor hidden that will not be known. Yes, it just absolutely will be known. Go on. Famous phrase here. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. Mm. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Yes, that's right. So you notice that the emphasis is it's covered, it's hidden, uh, like the first part of all these things, right? Covered, hidden, you spoke it in darkness, you, 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 you whispered in somebody's ear in a closet or something, all that's going to be broadcast, you know, it's be proclaimed from the housetops, it'll be revealed, it'll be known, you know, that whole thing is going gonna, is gonna to come to light. Okay, Hmm. Yes, and Swedenborg talks about the fact that uh, people who've committed crimes in this world and were very sneaky and managed to cover the whole thing up, it all comes out in the other, you know, especially for people who are in a state of denial and who are trying to say, no, I never, no, I would never, no, I meant you nothing but goodwill or something like that. No, so they just show how you plan to poison the person, how you're putting the thing in, what you were thinking, how you did it, how you treated the person like a friend, you give them the poison, you know, the whole, the whole thing. It's just, just the whole, the whole, the whole uh, thing plays out, just like a videotape. In fact, uh, he says, as you may know, that uh, the angels can just look at the palm of your hand 
and they can see everything that you've done. It's like your hand is a, is a flight data recorder, you know. You are the recorder. You know, your consciousness is what your spirit is capturing, what you do, what you say, what you think, what you feel. Uh, you, you can't escape it. You know, it's written on the palm of your hand. So it's a little intense, and the Lord wants to warn us. To, the way I sort of translate that is we're headed for an honest world after death. It's amazing how much I just, again, I hope you're not this way, good friends, just talking about my lower self. But my lower self just thinks, well, I'll be able to talk my way out of it. Or if just, you know, it's just, I just say this, or, I, you know, I, or maybe they won't find about the other thing because of, you know, you know. No, <laughs> we're talking about an honest, you know, a really honest world after death. Swedenborg even talks in one passage about the fact that uh, uh, the angels have compassion for people because when they get to the other world, their stupid ideas about God are just sort of broadcast, like everybody knows all the stupid things they think. And these angels are feeling compassion. The poor people have to say all these stupid things. I wonder what we can do for them. You know, they, they, they feel compassion. They're not judging them. But the honesty thing in the other world is kind of a problem. And it's a big difference from this world where we're wearing a cloak and a sort of a space suit and nobody knows what we're going through in here and we're mysterious even to our closest loved ones and everything. Uh, it reminds me of a joke that a friend of mine told me. Uh, this guy's uh, sitting at a bar sort of weeping over his drink and the bartender said, what, what's wrong, buddy? And the guy says, my wife understands me. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not good. It's not good. Um, Let's go back to Luke chapter 8. Um, what is this going to be like? Luke chapter 8, verse 17. Luke chapter 8, yes. verse 17. Mm. Another one in the same gospel as Jesus a little earlier. And what does he say? For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Yeah, that's right. It's just it's the same thing. He's saying the same thing. You know, it's going to come out. Uh, let's go back to Mark as long as we're moving backwards. Go back to to the left to Mark chapter four. Same deal. These are just parallels, but it's not like the Lord didn't warn us. That's what I'm saying. Okay, uh, four verse twenty-two. For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. Yeah. Now, look back at Matthew chapter 10. So turn to the left again. This is an interesting twist on that scene. It's, it's fascinating what, what this is here. Um, let's pick up at verse 24 in Matthew chapter 10. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is, not, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. Mm -hmm. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Yes, you see, in my made-up little story, isn't the young co-pilot sort of a hot shot, like he's got a big idea about himself or something? You know, this is kind of that sows the seeds of, of, of his uh, little problem that he had there. Go on. Therefore, do not fear them. Oh, don't fear them. Okay, so don't fear these people who are going to persecute you. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Oh, well, this is a little different. I don't mind it as much when it's you. 
like me, be, you know, like that's a tragedy if, if my inner self gets revealed. But if I find out what you did, so isn't that interesting that the same phrase is used a different way around. It says when you're under attack from other people, don't worry about it because it's all going to come to light. What they did, you know, what they did. So it's, it's used as a comfort here, which is sort of terrifying in the other passage or can be. But, uh, but here it's more comforting. And look at verse 27, interesting twist, huh? Whatever I tell you in the dark. Oh, this is, now wait, I thought somebody was sort of whispering bad things in the dark in that other one, right? They were sort of talking in the closet, whispering in somebody's ear, plotting and planning what they're going to do. But wait, this is the Lord speaking to us in darkness. Interesting. It's just the other way up. Go on. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. Wow, so that's a different, <laughs> you know, rather than sort of plotting and planning in the dark, and then that's going to come to light. The good things that the Lord tells us in secret, right? Uh, uh, you, you go out and proclaim, you know, tell people the, the thing that I told you. Go on. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Isn't that fascinating? We've got the housetops again there. This amazing, I love scripture. It's so amazing. How does that get turned upside down? It's very interesting. There's, it's some, somewhat different take on the same thing. Well, now I want to shift back to just some more passages. Let's go to the Psalms in the middle of your Bible, to the left there. Continue our leftward trend. Let's go to Psalm 139, which has a lot of material about the Lord's omniscience, meaning that He is all-knowing. Let's look at the beginning of Psalm 139 there. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Mm. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Mm. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. That's right. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I, it is high. I cannot attain it. It's interesting. I'm not quite sure what the tone of all that is, but he seems to find it wondrous or amazing that the Lord knows all about him, knows everything that's going on with him. And the Lord has hedged him behind him before. That sounds like a kind of protection and laid his hand on him, which is a positive thing, as we were reading about a few weeks ago. Yeah, so it's sort of amazing to him that he's got this divine presence and protection and, and knowledge the Lord knows so well. Let's read this famous phrase here. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Which I don't mean to be blasphemous, but isn't that sort of like the co-pilot saying, how do you unplug this? Like, can you shut this off? You know, is there some way not to have this honesty going on here? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. Mm. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Now that is, it depends on how you hold it. But I think it's potentially very, very comforting to think that the Lord is, you know, it's an inescapable presence. So the, the Lord is there. Go on. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So the leading and the holding is very important. So it's not just sort of a cold judgment or something. It's the Lord saying, I know where you are. Let's go over this way. And the Lord leads and holds. Go on. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, 
Even the night shall be light about me. Mm. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Yes, that's right. I wanted to pause there and just say, it's interesting to think about light because we love the idea, you know, those that sit in darkness have seen a great light. The whole idea of the Lord's coming into the world is that there will be this increased light. Um, is it a little different when we realize that light is also going to shine on us? Like, you know, it's, it's not just like, oh, great, the light came. Now I can see my way. But it's also like we will also see ourselves in that. I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, that's what the light is, right? The darkness is that you don't know. The light is that, that, it, that it comes to light. And so the, the, both the blessing of the light, and I don't want to say the curse of it, but just the, the, the discomfort, you know, they kind of go hand in hand, like you can't avoid it. Look at the last two verses in there. They're very beautiful in that psalm. Rather well-known phrases. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Interesting. Mm. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, that's a nice attitude of saying, go ahead. I lay myself out before you. Examine me. Is, um, am I going wrong somewhere? Please help me. Please, please fix me. You know, so that's, that's someone who's willing to have their, their words and their deeds recorded, so to speak. Good, good. Wasn't that fun? Uh, let's go to the right and uh, I want to go to Daniel. So you go Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. This is Daniel who's getting ready to interpret the dream we just read about recently. I want to go to a different part of that where um, Daniel's just talking about God's ability to reveal what is in our dreams even and so on. Daniel 2 verse 22. He reveals deep and secret things. Mm. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Yes, a couple of comments I want to make here. One is that um, those of you who know Swedenborg's works, and especially in the old translations, will know that there's a work of his called Arcana Colestia. That means secret, heavenly secrets uh, or secrets of heaven. Every time I see mentions of secret things or mysteries and things like that in Scripture, I'm, I'm interested that... This is about the Lord reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness, and light dwells with him. So again, you get a, the, the Lord is the light. We can't really approach the Lord without having our nature come to light in some sense. That's part of the, the, the deal. Um, let's go to the New Testament. We're jumping around a little bit. Let's go to... Book of John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament. I want to go to chapter 3, where it talks about darkness and light. Mm. Um, it's talking about, this is a famous passage of God so loved the world and all that. that he gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And... Uh, Let's just pick up at verse 19 there. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. That means the Lord. The Lord's come into the world. He's the light. But what was the reaction to that light? And men loved darkness rather than light 
because their deeds were evil. That's why the only reason the co-pilot has a problem with the cockpit voice recorder is that he said the wrong thing. You know, like if he'd said something nice or was complimenting the company or saying nice things about the passengers or the destination, no problem. You know, it, it doesn't have a problem. Against such there is no law. But it's because the deeds are evil that people actually prefer the darkness to the light. Like, don't let that come out. Don't, don't let anybody know that. Go on. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, <clears throat> lest his deeds should be exposed. But look at this different attitude in verse 21. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Yes. There are people who actually want to come to the light because they've been doing a decent job and they're just fine with it. You know, they have no reticence about the light. It's, just, it's fine. Let, let's just see what this is. And, and uh, so, and it, what an interesting phrase, doing the truth. Uh, doing the truth. I've been thinking more and more, as some of you know, of truth as uh, marching orders kind of thing, like the commandments and things like that. Those who do the truth come to the... So if you're following a good program, as I suspect in my stupid story, the older pilot is, uh, you don't mind the voice, you're used to the voice recorder, that's fine, you know, it should capture it, you don't mind it. Those who do the truth come to the light that their deeds may be made manifest that they're done in God. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, let's go to the right and go through Acts and Romans to 1 Corinthians just a phrase that came to mind in here. Let's look at verse 4 and 5 there in 1 Corinthians 4. four. Paul saying. Hold on. Okay. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. Mm. But he who judges me is the Lord. Yes, the Lord is the one who's going to judge. So Paul may or may not know whether he's got a problem or not. Go on. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Yes, you see, it's not only the deeds, but it's what lies in our hearts that will come to light. The Lord just has that effect. He, he brings that out. Then each one's praise will come from God. Yes, if you're so fortunate as to be praised in that situation, it won't because you it won't be because you praised yourself or because someone else praised you. It's because the Lord says, "You you did well." You know that I'm 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 good with what I what I see there. Okay, and let's go to Revelation at the far right of your book, chapter twenty, where we read about this book of life. The beginning? Let's look at verses 12 and 13, I guess. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Yeah, now there's this rumor going around that our salvation is based on our faith or faith alone. But this is not the teaching of Scripture. It says very clearly, it's the stuff you did. That's what gets written in your book. You can't have it. You did it, it's in your book. And that's, that forms the basis of the judgment. But that's, 
Don't panic just yet. Uh, there, there, there is something we can do about that situation. Uh, look at verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Yeah, so there again, it's, you know, that's in our, our book of life is a record of what we've done. And Swedenborg adds to that, and it's not hard to find it in Scripture, that it's not only what we did, because it said what in that other passage, the counsels of the heart. It's not only just what you did, because uh, 30 people can do exactly the same thing for 30 different reasons. But, you know, what was in your heart? Why were you doing that? What was in your mind? The Lord is a very merciful judge, I hasten to say. He has tremendous compassion on the human race, and He knows what we don't know, which is what is the stuff that's just being stuck in our minds by evil spirits, and then they accuse us of it when it didn't come from ourselves at all. We didn't intend that, or it was some hereditary evil or something that flared up, and, you know, I don't think we can let ourselves off the hook, but the Lord is just very compassionate. He sees the whole picture. It is interesting, a friend reminded me today, that when people, you know, often people who have uh, near-death experiences say that they have a life review. That's a part of many, many near-death experiences. And you would think that would be kind of scary, but people say they loved it. They enjoyed the life review. It's interesting. One person I heard on the, on the TV was saying that he, um, he had a, a near-death experience and was in the other world and what he was done, he was interacting with someone with whom he'd had a very challenging uh, relationship, you know, a difficult relationship, and they hadn't treated each other very well. And he could see what he had done, and he could see the effect on the other person. And in fact, he said that you could see the things from the other person's point of view. You could see what it was like to be the other person. But from that perspective, he could not only see what he had done, but he could see what he was blind to, like what he didn't understand. There were sort of these some mitigating circumstances, you know? stuff that, that just had plagued him or was not, you know, it just, it, he'd come by it honestly somehow, you know. And he was able, they were both able to say, he was able to see in the other person how they also had their issues. Of course, the other person always, you know, it's not good for us to focus on that, but the other person's always coming from somewhere too. You know, so he said he was lifted up and could get this kind of compassionate view of like, oh yeah, we were actors in a play and I said these stupid things and you said these stupid things and all that. But here's, here's this higher view on what we were doing. And so for some reason, I think that higher view sort of feels compassionate and, and, and good to people that they, they don't mind going through that life review. I do hasten to say, however, that Scripture does seem to want to put the fear of God into us a little bit with these passages about, hey, honest world, you know, and, and especially what it wants to say to our lower self is, don't be thinking like, oh, nobody knows that I did that, you know. What, you know, happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it doesn't stay in Vegas. <laughs> you know, they know. They, they, you know, heaven knows all, all that stuff. Don't mean to undermine the, the great city of Las Vegas. Um, Let's go back to the Old Testament before I get in further trouble. And uh, after the five books of Moses, you get Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel. I want to go to Second Samuel, chapter twelve. Mm. This is after David's adultery. David, in fact, David. Broke three or four 
of the Ten Commandments all in one uh, amazing, it was very skillful. Uh, he managed to commit adultery, kill somebody, deceive people, steal someone's, you know, he managed to kind of hit the, more than the trifecta, it was like the quadrifecta uh, of Ten Commandment breaking. It, it was very efficient, get it all done at once. And he thought he'd gotten away with it, you know. And then the prophet Nathan came to see him and told him this parable about the two, maybe you remember the thing about the sheep and all that stuff. Let's look at a 12. Um, oh, look at this. Verse 9. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? So here's this prophet who's just sitting there talking with David. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. That's true. You have taken his wife to be your wife. That's right. And have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. That's correct. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Mm, now that sounds nat naturally punitive. Uh, what the Swedenborg's teachings say is that the punishment is always spiritually in the crime. You know... You, you kill people, that, that sword is in you. It's not, you know, you sort of married that when you committed that act, and that's in you. Okay, go on. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes. You see, he took somebody else's wife, but in secret, nobody knew it was happening. He took somebody else's wife. But what's going to happen here? I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Doesn't that fit with our theme this evening? Like you did something secretly, this is going to happen to you and it's going to be public. Everybody's going to see it happen. And it was true. It did happen. Go on. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. Yes, I, you did it secretly. This, this is going to be absolutely public. So what did David say? So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And what did Nathan say? Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So he didn't keep him hanging for a really long time there. I've sinned. That's okay. <laughs> right? He, he didn't have to sweat a real, you know, I mean, a moment ago, it was like, the sword shall never depart from your house. I've sinned. Oh, no, there, there. It's all, it's all right. <laughs> he, he sort of rushes in with the, with the compassion. In that, isn't this interesting? Look at verse 14. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Yes, you see, that's, that's what you don't want to do. You know, let, letting the enemies of the Lord get the upper hand. Mm. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. And this has an inner meaning. It's not that the child is being cursed or whatever. It's got an inner meaning about the fact, the thing that is born of that, you know, you've got to get rid of, like that, that thing has to go. You know, the, you, you can't keep having those same kind of thoughts that led you to commit adultery and murder and, and theft and false witness, you know. You, you've got to lay that aside. That's, that's the inner meaning of the story. Wow, that's, uh, that's really something, isn't it? So turn to the right. I think we'll go to the Psalms. And uh, after the Psalms, you get the Proverbs. And after the Proverbs, you get Ecclesiastes in there, don't you? Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. 
mm, the notoriously kind of uh, dark uh, vision of life in Ecclesiastes, all is vanity and so on. Mm. Chapter 10, verse 20. Here's some good advice for you. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Wow. Even in your thoughts. This is the Old Testament. It says, don't curse the king, even in your thoughts. Don't even think it. Isn't that what people say sometimes? Don't even think about it, right? Isn't that what they say? Don't even think about it. Why not? Uh, do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. That's right. For even in your bedroom. You're, I mean, that's fun to lie around cursing the rich in your bedroom. I mean, who hasn't done it? You know, but don't do it. Don't do it. For a bird of the air may carry your voice. That's right. And a bird in flight may tell the matter. That's right. The birds have ears. The walls have ears. It's going to get out. It's another way of saying that, you know, he says, don't, don't even think curses about the king. Don't be cursing people behind their back when you think, oh, they live in the good part of town. They'll never hear me. No, just don't try to have the right kind of thoughts and the right kind of actions. That'll be better for you. Isn't that fun? Turn to the right. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. We also have to always have to have something from Isaiah. It's so wonderful. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. This is just about darkness and light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death Upon them a light has shined. Now this is very, uh, it's a beautiful prophecy, isn't it? And yet tonight I'm sort of thinking of it in terms of yet, yeah, that, that light increases and the light's going to be shining on you and, and on other, other people. Uh, this is, if, if you want to go to the light, you've got to be ready to feel a little exposed. Uh, Isaiah 42, chapter 42 in the same book there. Um, This is another just getting out of darkness type of passage. This is nice. Five to seven there. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give this you... This is the same thing that David was told in Psalm 139, isn't it? The, the holding with the hand, I'll keep you, I'll protect you. This is, not, this is not our enemy. The Lord is not our enemy. It's not a bad thing. The Lord wants to protect us. Go on. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the prison, hmm. those who sit in darkness from the prison house. That's right. That, that's a, it's a beautiful passage. And so you see there's a positive side to this idea that we'll be moving from the darkness into light and things will be revealed. This is a good thing. The Lord really, we, we rely on the Lord to do this. It's very important. Let's go to the New Testament, back to Luke again. Chapter 1 very, very long chapter. I want to go almost to the end of it. Uh, verse 79 in Luke 1. Uh, again, a vision of the Lord coming into the world and what he's doing. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, the Lord doesn't just leave you there and he doesn't just say, ah, oh, you're no good. Look what you did. You know, you're trash. You don't belong here in heaven. He's trying to guide us. His knowledge of us just helps him lead us from where we are into a better place. He wants to guide our feet into the way of peace. Uh, the opposite attitude is embodied in Revelation chapter 6 all the way at the end of your book to the right. Told you we'd be jumping around a little bit here. For some reason, I don't know why, just must be a perverse part of myself. I just love this passage. Uh, starting at verse 15. Oh, sorry, such, what book? Revelation. Revelation chapter 6. We'll start at verse 15. And it's just an image of how... People who are committed to evil, how they respond to the light. We read in John 3 that they hate the light. They don't come to the light. They don't want their deeds to be revealed. So, 6.15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. They hid themselves. They hid themselves. Go on. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Mm. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Yeah, this is the way the evil in us feels about uh, when the Lord, when we feel exposed um, from the, to the Lord, is we just want to say to the rocks and everything, Fall on us and hide us. Uh, it's so amazing to me that, that that's how they feel. It's like just, I don't want to have anything. Don't, don't bring that light in here. I, I don't want to deal with it. Uh, saying to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And they perceive the lamb as wrathful. Uh, lambs don't even make the top 10 list of the <laughs> angriest animals in the animal kingdom. They're known to be very sweet playful, cute, and innocent, uh, and yet they perceived, no, no, the lamb is really mad. Uh, you know, they're just in a distorted view, and they don't want this truth. They'd rather the rocks and the mountains just fall on us, hide us. We, we, don't, we don't want to deal with it. Isn't that amazing? And, uh, okay, and the last scriptures I want to read turn all the way to the left. Let's go to the five books of Moses. We'll just do one more little mini pass here. But I want to go to Deuteronomy, the fifth book of Moses, chapter 30, because it's not just an exercise in torment. The Lord really wants us to have the truth. We have the option of saying to the rocks and mountains, fall on us and hide us. I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to be in denial. I'm going to blame other people for all my problems or something. Uh, but the Lord really wants to bring us into the light because when we have the light, then we have the option of moving forward. That's how he can guide our feet into the way of peace because we can see who we are, we can see where we are, and we say, oh, if I head this way, that'll be better than where I am now. You know, that, that's a good situation. Almost a little bit like the fact that, you know, why do people get that flight data recorder and all that? They want to be able to change the whole airline industry based on one accident, you know. Let's change the entire industry and the whole way that it functions because that's not acceptable to have a single crash. Um, so Deuteronomy chapter 30, oh, let's look at verse 19 there. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, 
blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And uh, let's turn to the middle of your Bible. You get the Psalms. Go to the right through Isaiah and Jeremiah. We get to Ezekiel. If you ever need comfort on this subject, good friends, just read Ezekiel chapter 18. That whole chapter is amazing. We've done a Bible study on it before. The, um, it's all about how we are judged. And first of all, it talks about someone who's good, if memory serves, and then their child who's evil, and the good person is good, and then the, the, their child who's evil is just evil, and that's their choice, has nothing to do. The parent's goodness doesn't affect it. It's all on that individual. And then that person's kid is good, and that goodness is not tainted by the evil of the parent. You know, it's everyone has their own responsibility for their own lives. And then it talks about how if you start out bad and you turn good, that's great. It's wonderful. It's fine. And so let's read a little bit of that. Um, look at verse 21. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Now, what type of person was this at the beginning of the verse there? A wicked man who This is a wicked turned. person. A wicked person will be fine. If he turns. They, they don't care if, you're, if you're, you're, the first three quarters of your flight might have been bad. But you, you bank a little bit, head toward the east, you know, move in a better direction. You will live. You will not die spiritually. And look at that next verse. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Yeah. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. This is the way the thing is structured. It's mercifully structured. It's not trying to be punitive or whatever. If we move, you know, it's good. It turns out well. And look at what he says in verse 23. It's so beautiful. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God? And not that he should turn from his ways and live? That's the whole force of Scripture is to get us to turn, turn and live, just as we were reading in Deuteronomy chapter 30 there. And it says the verse too, if you live a good life and then you turn to like heavily to like really get into some serious evil and stuff, that's bad. You're like you're choosing that, that wickedness over the goodness that was there before. Uh, look at verse 27. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Go on. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. To get back to my silly story, I think that, that, uh, that co-pilot probably had a good think about you know, his attitude and what he had, you know, it probably had a sort of a positive effect on him over time. Just even the thought that this is all recorded and it's all going to come to light and there's no way you can get rid of it sort of, you know, has kind of a chastening effect. And you see that beautiful stuff in verse 30 there. Uh, the Lord's going to judge us according to our ways. It says, repent, turn away from your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? I have no pleasure in the death of those who die, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn yourselves and live. 
very important scripture. So if you ever feel discouraged about the, the voice cockpit report, recorder and so on, uh, you know, read Ezekiel 18. And, um, and let's go to the New Testament, back to Luke. That's where we started. That's where we'll end tonight. Luke chapter 15, a passage that's come up many times lately. Uh, verse 7, 15, verse 7. It's all about the lost sheep and all that. And he says in verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. That's right. Uh, heaven is overjoyed. Who was the first person who saw the Lord after he was resurrected? Mary Magdalene, who had seven devils. Was that a problem for her that she had seven devils? Once she got over that, you know, was all that stuff in her, you know, all the flight data recorded? It was, yeah, it was all in there. The, the Lord can see all that, but all he wants is just to, to, to turn them. So the reason the Lord gives us this message about, hey, it's an honest world after death. Just wanted to give you a heads up, you know. And uh, the, the, the difficult news is there's nothing that is in the past that you can erase. There's no way to unplug it. You can't edit it. <laughs> you can't get back there, smash it, burn it, throw water on it. You, you can't, there's nothing you can do. It's, it's part of the record. It, it's, it's in there. It's, it just is what it is. We can, when we look back, do repentance on that now. There's very powerful teachings that Swedenborg puts forward that a lot of our culpability, like uh, how, how guilty are we for these acts, is how you feel about them after the fact. Not did you do them. But do you, he says, if people look back on the sins of their youth with regret, there is hope for them. You know? And so our attitude after the fact is not that we shouldn't look or just leave that in the lockbox or something. You know, it, it's good to examine ourselves and look. And what we're supposed to do with that information is just say, can we tilt the plane a little bit this way? Can we clean up some of the language in the cockpit and so on? <laughs> and, uh, you know, try to, try to head in a more positive direction here. Because a little bit goes a long way in changing direction. In fact, what did it say? Won't even be remembered. Won't even be called to mind. Like the stuff, it's just gone. You know, we, we can just forget about all that. That's behind you. You know, um, just, just move forward from here. So uh, it's important to know that there is a flight data recorder in our spirit. There is a, you know, cockpit voice recorder. What we do, what we say, and not only what we do and what we say, but what we think and what we feel, uh, that's, that's captured. It does make an odd sort of consciousness when, you know, Sometimes when I'm going through my life, I just think, this is going to be on the highlight reel. You know, I just, you know, uh, <laughs> there it is. You know, uh, the, the, it, it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> but knowing that our repentance counts for so much, everybody is wobbly. Uh, you know, when, when they take off of the runway, it, 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 people have have a difficult time with this world. The Lord knows that we have hereditary evil. We have all kinds of things stacked against us and kind of a crazy world that we live in and everything. The main thing is where are you going? Where are you going? So in sum, everything we say, do, think, and be, feel is being recorded, cannot be erased, and will be reviewed. 
But the good news is that the reviewers are the embodiment of compassion and understanding and a positive change, any positive change. We're still alive in this world, good friends. Who knows for how much longer, but here we are. And any kind of positive change in our flight path can really uh, make all the difference so that we enjoy that, that life review when we, when we go to the other side. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. I'll repent of my vacation when I get back. It's too late now. Nothing can be done. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. It's a strange circumstance that we're here in this world that's just full of the possibility of deceit, telling ourselves stories, telling other people stories, and excusing things and overlooking, hoping we're going to get a break or we can talk our way out of things or whatever. It's important for us to know that it is an honest world. That's one option that's off the table when we pass on to the other side. But we thank you, Lord. That is what the light is. This is a world of darkness. That's a world of light. We look forward to that light, Lord. We know that there are things that we haven't done right, but we ask you, you know, search me, try my thoughts, you know, look at my anxieties, uh, lead me in the way everlasting. How else can we move forward unless we really get an honest look at where we are and wish to improve our situation? Thank you, Lord, for your teachings on repentance, for your merciful, compassionate presence, for your light for your knowledge of the way forward. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. We can change that flight path yet. <laughs>